God is not like a, a guy standing at the fork of a road with a sign saying turn left, but then you turn right and then for every mile that you go, it's another mile that you got to run back to in order to find the next level of, of direction. God's the guy in the car with you, manning the GPS who says turn left here, but even if you turn right, he's saying, okay, cool, not a problem, we'll recalculate. Don't think that because for the last two weeks you haven't actually prayed, God, thy will be done in my life, that somehow it's his will is not being produced in your life. The word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my unto my path. John 1 1 says that in the beginning was the word, the word was his God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. A light unto the path means he reveals the path. You can't see farther than your next step. All of us want to see the full path. It's a fleshly desire to be in control. Success is localized in being faithful to the call of God no matter the cost. Welcome back to the Kingdom Vision Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest coming all the way from Hawaii. His name is Justin. How do you, is it Justin Ko? Is that how you pronounce it? You know, there's there's often two different ways. It's Ko or Koe, and neither of them are correct. It's Ku, like shoe with a K. But anytime that someone mispronounces Ooh. my name, I just t- consider it an honor. You're talking about me. What a privilege. What an honor. So thanks for having me here, man. Heck yeah, bro. We got connected over social media literally like two weeks ago and I, it's crazy. So this is why I was saying I didn't want to get too much talking before the podcast because this is a cool part. But when I first got saved in February, 2020, I was looking up Christian content creators and you were one of the very first people like I ever seen put themselves out there and you have... I think your oldest video I looked is from seven years ago and you were creating content before it was like, maybe not before it was cool, but before it was mainstream. So you've been creating content for a while, bro. And so that, that was really cool that we got connected over, um, over Instagram. And I was like, if we don't do the podcast now, we may never get to it. So let's just hop on a pod. So thanks for coming, bro. But I just want to start off with a specific question that I've heard a lot of people ask on podcasts that I'm interested to hear you go into, but it's super vague, but just who is Jesus to you? When you hear Hmm. that, what, who's Jesus to you? Man. Oh, that's a great question. So I'll start by saying this, that the way that I grew up with the picture of God was kind of like the angry stepdad kind of a thing. Like, you know, he's out there. um, He has expectations over your life, but not super close, not super intimate. And perhaps the thing that I love most about Jesus is the way that he's able to help us to understand God better. Um, I think about when Jesus, like anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And you especially think about that in the context of like, Uh, maybe a surface reading of the Old Testament. It's like, man, God's this distant being. God is this maybe angry being. God's not someone that you want to mess with, which, you know, in certain respects, you don't want to mess with God. I I understand the, the, the utility of that. But then to understand God through the person of Jesus and to understand God through the revealed uh, revel to the revelation of who he is and the way that he treats people changes the game. And it really changed the game for me. And so for, for me, Jesus is, Jesus is the, the expressed image of God. He is the, the picture of God's character made manifest and to me, the most compelling picture of what any God, any deity could be. And so there's a, a many different things. I mean, we want to, you know, spout off all the important kind of doctrinal things. He's the second person of the Godhead. He was, you know, uncreated, all, all those things. Cool. Yes. But I think to me, what is so beautiful about what Jesus is to me is, is how he reveals 
the Father's heart of love towards sons and daughters. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So I wanted to start off that just with some with some meat right off the bat, but now I want to get into more of your story. So obviously, as far back as I go at seven years is when you posted your first video, seven, eight years ago. Um, go back before that. Talk about your life prior to creating content, your walk with becoming a follower of Jesus, getting saved, all that stuff. And then you can go into... Like, go up until you started creating content, because that's kind of like the, not the dark, the dark ages, but like the unseen almost. Sure, sure. So, um, I started off kind of in ministry with, like, my heart not in the right place. Let me give you the context. I was in high school, and a recruiter came to my Christian school, born and raised in a Christian home. You know, it was kind of part of my everyday, or not everyday, every week routine, as it were. Uh, and one day... I heard some friends talking about their summer plans. Oh, we're going to do this. It's going to be so much fun, yada, yada, yada. And I just threw myself on the conversation, wanting to belong, wanting to be a part of the party. And I said, okay, cool. Yeah, I'm in. Count me in. I didn't know exactly what was going on. Turns out they had signed up for kind of like a summer program where they would go door to door and sell Christian books in an attempt to raise money for like their education kind of a thing. Not at all what most people would think about as a good time, but here I am signing myself up, not knowing what it's going to be like. I show up to the very first day of the program. Uh, the kind of picture of it all is about 20-odd uh, young people, high school age, maybe early college age. We all live together in a church, uh, sleeping on the floors of like spare uh, classrooms and things like that. About 20 people show up. Not a single one of my friends were there that, you know, kind of prompted me to sign up. And so I end up in this, this summer program with no clue what to expect. And the summer program would do a lot of things, a very structured, a very regimented kind of daily uh, cycle. Uh, there'd be worship, there'd be prayer, Bible study, there'd be, you know, all kinds of different things that we'd, we would do together. Think of it like summer camp, but minus a lot of the fun. <laughs> no go-karts, uh, no jet skiing, none of that kind of stuff. Um, but every single day I'd go door to door and I'd knock on doors and try and sell people Christian books. And in the process of that, I'd get the opportunity to pray with people and to talk to them about Jesus. And it was a really weird thing because I was not a committed follower of Jesus at this time, but somehow, some way through that experience, through the exposure to community, to the exposure to, um, you know, just sharing, uh, the gospel with people like my heart changed. And I ended up receiving Christ that exact summer and it changed everything for me. And because this was such a transformational experience for me, I'm like, you know what? I want to do more of this. I want to dedicate my life to this. So long story short, Cole, I did this for 10 years, like eight hours a day, knocking on doors, you know, five days a week, perhaps knocked on over a hundred thousand doors in kind of my time doing this type of ministry. Um, and I was just so gung ho about telling people about Jesus because it was the first time in my life that I felt passionate about something. It was the first time that I felt really like excited uh, and felt like I had purpose and a direction with my life. Up to that point, honestly, I was pretty depressed, pretty discouraged with life. People would ask me, what are you going to do for college? And I said, you know what, I'll be a dentist. And the only reason why I said I'll be a dentist is because my dad was a dentist and I figured that no matter what I would study in college, I was going to be miserable. So I thought, you know what, if I'm going to be miserable, I might as well have money. And so I, I declared dentistry, but that summer, in between my senior year of high school and transitioning into college, it felt like the lights had turned on. It felt like I could finally see in color. It felt like, man, I figured out what I was missing the entire time, and it was, in fact, Jesus. 
So I, I dedicated my life, uh, or at least a, a significant portion of my life, 10 years of my life, to kind of just pursuing that, that call of you know, sharing the gospel with as many people as possible. And in a very weird sense, it led me to knocking on doors. I get that it's a weird thing. I get that it's, you know, most people don't do it. You know, you think about maybe vacuum mm-hmm. salesmen or something along those lines. It, it very much had that tone. Um, I look back on it. There's probably a lot of things that I would do differently. But all that to say, it was an expression of me taking my faith seriously. And it was an, ex- an expression of my desire to tell other people about the good news of what Jesus had done for them. Praise God. That's amazing. So get into when did the content creation journey for Justin end up starting? What, what area of your life, what phase of your life? Yeah, so right around the tail end of those 10 years, I ended up being invited to, uh, to teach at a Bible college in Philadelphia. And it was a very small Bible college. You would have never heard of it. But, you know, I had about, you know, a dozen students in the student body per year. So very small, intimate Bible college. And while I was there, one of the students who was a part of the program started to share his testimony with me. Come to find out, this is in maybe 2015, I think. Come to find out that the reason why he was actually a Christian uh, was because literally of a YouTube video. This is, again, before the era of Christian YouTubers. There were no Christian influencers. The idea of a Christian vlogger never existed, this, this kind of thing. In fact, if you were to go to most conferences, uh, like young adult conferences or evangelism conferences or fill in the blank, at least for me in my neck of the wood, when a seminar would be presented about social media, it was always with a bit of skepticism. Social media is evil, it's wicked, it's dark, it's addictive, it's rotting the brains of our young people and it's causing them to walk away from spiritual things, that type of a thing, which, you know, incidentally, very likely true, 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 all those things are true. However, that's where the conversation would end. The conclusion was, therefore, Christians should run away and not participate in social media. And I was kind of on that train. I was, you know, deleting my social media accounts. I was really conscious about how much time I was spending on it. And then I come to find out that this guy became a follower of Jesus because some dude thousands of miles away with his phone was documenting his walk with Jesus. And for whatever reason, my student, Michael, found that so compelling that he gave his heart to Jesus as a result of a YouTube video. And that blew my mind because here I was running from door to door, knocking on two, three hundred doors a day because it's like this is the most effective way to share the gospel. And I'm here dedicating my my life to teaching classes for a dozen students. Maybe I'll get to preach at the odd church for like a hundred people in attendance, that kind of a thing. And so I'm putting in hours and hours and hours of work to reach relatively small audiences. And I thought, you know what? There's got to be something to this where if God is truly going to use this to reach people and to transform their lives, then it just makes sense to lean into this because all things being equal, I'm not going to stand on the big stage. I'm not going to sit in front of a mega church anytime soon. But if I am able to contextualize what I'm sharing with my students, what I, what I preach on the weekends, if I can contextualize that for the internet, then I have the potential to reach far more people than running door to door to door ever could. And so it kind of stemmed from those same reasons why I was doing door-to-door ministry, which is why I chose to start the story there. It's because it came from a desire to share the good news and to reach as many people as possible. And so it just started with a belief that social media could be that, even though I didn't see really any examples of what that could look like at the time. No, that's. Uh, I'm glad you said that because, well, first off, in my own walk, it's one thing when you have people who are content creating, just sharing the gospel, sharing just knowledge and wisdom about God. But for me, 
the things I was walking in before I began to follow Jesus was things like partying, things like walking in a mm-hmm. uh, in a big one of the literally the biggest university top three universities in America, Texas A&M University, in the, the social aspect of walking in fear of man and, and, and partying and everything that went along with that. So YouTubers, for me, were huge when they began to share their testimonies. Like, that hmm. is, you know, like, t- like today, that's a very, very common thing. Like, people are more bold because people have paved the way for that. But, I mean, I scoured the Internet and... It took me a while to find him at first. This was two and a half years ago. And there was a man by the name of Jonathan Pocluda. I don't know if you know him, but he shared a sermon from the porch in Dallas, Texas. And uh, he just talked about his testimony moving around. Uh, He moved three or four times around a three-block radius around this one bar in his town. And then he realized, you know, he goes on with the story. And eventually, you know, Jesus saved him. And he began to realize his fleshly pursuits and all these things. But... The boldness of YouTubers to let alone preach but be vulnerable online cannot be understated because even mm. those times when I have been vulnerable with things that God has shown me and even my mistakes and sin struggles and things like that, there is a huge element of fear of man, one, but then the enemy in spiritual warfare plays a factor and he'll come and he'll expose that fear of man in you. And it is a real battle. Hmm. And so praise God for the people who are faithful. But go into that um, because you post potent content. Literally one of your, I guess one of the more recent videos I watched, I guess profound that is in my mind is the one when you talked about abortion. Um, it was a little podcast. And um, oh, that's yeah, a yeah, very, yeah. with, uh, I don't know, it, I don't know who you're, if it was your friend or if just a woman you knew. But like that is a topic that is very... Um, just very potent. Um, so just talk about that and just your content in general, being your journey with being bold and walking in boldness and not letting the fear of man distract you from what you think you should put out. Yeah, so I, I really have to thank that ex- those first 10 years uh, in overcoming any fear or shyness around people. Um, it's one thing to put things out on the internet, and I get it. It is scary, uh, especially if you've never done it before, if you're talking about things that are culturally just not appropriate to talk about in the way that you're going to talk about them. Um, but it's a lot harder to do that face-to-face. It's a lot harder to do that door-by-door hundreds of, or no, thousands of times, if not over 100,000 times. And so I've had a lot of practice uh, having those tough conversations one-on-one with strangers, I've had a lot of practice knocking on cold doors where people weren't expecting me. And so you, you develop a bit of a tough skin. And I think that that's a valuable thing. Um, the way that I would describe it is just really being focused on, on really the call and the purpose. I think that a lot of times we justify whether or not God is calling us based off the results. Uh, you know, if what I do is successful, then we intuit from that that God is calling me to do the thing because it's successful. But you pay attention to the narrative of scripture, that may not always be the case. Sure, sometimes you're called to success, and sometimes you're called to 120 years of preaching and only eight people get on the boat. And so it's important for us to realize that God's callings are not dependent on success or failure rates. Uh, We want to be successful, we want to be able to reach people, but at the end of the day, if that's the metric to determine uh, if God actually has a plan or a call on my life, you're really putting the cart before the horse. David was called to be king prior to killing Goliath. 
Like he didn't mm-hmm. have really any resume under his belt that said, oh, he, this is the reason why he's going to be a great king. No, he was a kid. I mean, he was talking to sheep day after day after day, and yet the call was given to him. And so realize that the call comes before the success. That's, that's literally the purpose of the call, because if you are already having success, what's the purpose of actually giving you a call? And so in this, I think that it's important for content creators or what, any Christian in any field, really, to, to localize what success actually means. Success doesn't mean having a viral video. Mm-hmm. Success doesn't mean growing an audience. Success doesn't mean successfully turning it into a side hustle where you're able to pay the bills, though I, ho- I hope for all of those things for you guys. Success is localized in being faithful to the call of God, no matter the cost. And, and you know, historically, yeah. that's the paradigm of success. That's the paradigm of faithfulness. Because back in the day, there was an actual cost to doing this. And it was a cost that far exceeds social ridicule. And we have gone to this point where we have been so comfortable, where it's easy for us to say, you know what, if it's not comfortable, I don't do it. And if it's not successful, then it couldn't be from God. And I just, I just, I generally speaking, take exception with that, that worldview. And I want to encourage believers to step into their calling, even if you don't know how the result is going to be. That was what it was like for me when I started doing the online ministry, man. I remember like six months into doing this thing. I'm still getting 30 views per video. But it was around that time that I felt that God called me to, to, to go from being a hobbyist, you know, doing it in my after hours, to going all in full time. And so I had to come home one day and talk to my wife. We'd only been married for one year. We moved all the way across the country. We moved from the West Coast to Philly. And we were married for about a year. And I had to come home one day and tell my wife, I think God has made it clear to me, I'm supposed to go all in on this thing. I'm supposed to take it seriously. And there's no good reason why. I'm getting no views. I have no subscribers. I have no money coming in. And yet the call of God is clear to me. And so through the faithfulness of my wife and the support of my wife, I ended up quitting my job, fully resigning from from a full-time position with benefits and everything else like that to pursue what is, in many people's eyes, ridiculous. I mean, I look back on it, I'm thinking, yeah, why did we do this if it wasn't a call from God? And so th- this is the call, man. It's, it's, it's to take those bold steps of faith in, in obedience to the Holy Spirit. Be faithful, even if you don't know if it's going to succeed. Just move forward in faith. So talk about, you're kind of talking about the call, but you never, I want you to talk about how to hear God's voice. A lot of times mm. people say, hey, God told me to do this. For mm-hmm. me in my life, like I've had, I've had few moments where it was, there's been like a clear as day moment where God told me to do something. And mm-hmm. I've had her stories where God literally spoke audibly to somebody. I heard a story of a, a guy I talked to in person, actually on, on this podcast, where at eight years old, he heard a thundering voice in his bedroom. And he's like, mm-hmm. I know what people will say, whatever, but it happened. For me, that's never mm-hmm. happened. For me, it's been more of a small, still, quiet voice leading me. And, and when I get to the end, end of my rope, he leads me where to go so just talk about hearing God's voice and finding that call knowing it's your call knowing it's God who's calling you just in understanding those things yeah that's a great question so if anyone listening has has felt a bit like an outsider because you haven't heard like the audible voice of God there's never been thunder and lightning and the skies opening up and God revealing his plan to you you don't have to feel bad. I've, I've never experienced that myself either in that specific way. And yet I, I move with confidence that God is speaking to me. How do, I, how do I do that? 
Well, because he promises to. Like the promise of scripture is that God directs you, that he is a, a, a father that is deeply invested and interested in the details of your life. And specifically, I think it's Isaiah 30, he will guide you. He'll tell you when to turn to the left, when to turn to the right. So for me, there's a couple assumptions that I make. And to an unbeliever, it's just going to sound stupid. It's going to sound foolish. And okay, cool. Like I'm resigned to that. I'm willing to enter into that even still. Scripture promises that when we ask for wisdom, God gives wisdom. Scripture promises that when we ask for direction, God gives direction. And so I just take that at his word. And so one of the things that has been very helpful for me is to realize that when Scripture declares that God gives you the desires of your heart, that is to say that there's a, an important element to when your life is surrendered to the Holy Spirit and when your heart is positioned and postured always towards a yes and an amen to whatever God wants you to do, that there's a very real sense in which you can actually pay attention to the interests and the desires of your heart because God placed them there. And so for me, when it mm-hmm. came to the idea of social media ministry, as, as, I'm, as I'm entertaining the air quotes calling over my life, I recognize that, you know, oh man, this might be a fleeting thing. Maybe it's just my ADHD. Maybe it's just me getting excited about a hobby. But no, that, that, that desire abides and it remains for days, weeks, months. And so I have to, have to weigh that. I have to take it seriously and I have to go to God and say, you know what? I feel like this is what you're calling me to do, but I'm not 100% certain. And then I have, to, I have to be willing in that prayer to say, God, I'm, I'm willing to go either way. I'm willing to stay here in full contentment, just doing what you've called me to do. I'm also willing to take this leap of faith if that's what you want me to do. And so as I'm submitting uh, you know, my life before God and giving him full permission to open doors or close doors, the fact that this is still something that's on my heart is in many ways a revelation that the Holy Spirit has placed a desire there. Especially when you check your motives and you think to yourself, or I I would think to myself, why do I want to do this? Am I wanting to do it because of fame? It's like, no, because I have no fame. There's no promise of fame. Am I wanting to do this to be rich? No, because in every sense of the word, I actually have to give up earthly security. Why do I want to do this? Well, Well, I think if I'm being fully transparent, the reason why I want to do this is to, is to lift Jesus higher. And it just seems like that's what, what this would accomplish. And so in a number of ways, I'm checking my motives, mm-hmm. I'm submitting my desires to God. And when that desire doesn't go away, what I personally interpret it as is, okay, he's given me those desires. He's placed those desires in my heart. And he's actually putting this on my heart. And I have the freedom to enter into it and to say yes. And so I, I, I went with that and... To me, it's a very simple equation. It might seem as to to others who are maybe listening to this from the outside. It's like, oh, so you're just saying that you fly by the seat of your pants. It's like, in a certain sense, yeah, except for it's not the seat of my pants. It's just Mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit tells me to jump, I'm like, all right, cool, let's go. How do I do that? And I I look at that, the result of that decision and the fruit that it bears and just the journey that it's led me on, and, I, and even though I just said that we don't reason from results to success, I will testify that life has been enriched and better because of my decision to say yes. And so, I don't know, if that, is that making sense, Cole? Is, is that helpful to you at all? Do you find that agreeing with your story at all? I just was talking about this with a guy yesterday, last night, and I feel like when you were born again, there are, when I, before, let me say this, before Jesus Everything I did, every motive, every decision was made by selfishness. What does this benefit me? What does this person offer me? Everything is selfishly motivated. Then I'm born again, and I believe God renews our will. So when I think about the conversation of hearing God's voice, when I think about the conversation of hearing God's voice, 
I think since we have a renewed will, we can operate freely in Acts. I don't I forgive me because I don't have the exact quote, but Paul, I think it was the first time he was gonna go into Asia, he says, I think that it's good for us to go here. Like he just he just said it. I think it, it's good, and I think we should go here. It's not God didn't audibly tell me, hey, you need to go here. Um, so point being, God gives us a renewed will, and I think in my own life, I find that when I'm walking faithfully, everything is operating in that renewed will. And then mm-hmm. I oftentimes I feel God when I'm stepping outside of that will. So I never really mm-hmm. hear God tell me, hey, you need to do this, you need to do that, you need to do that. But I have this renewed will. He's given me discernment. He's given me wisdom. So I'm going to walk in that wisdom and discernment. And then we still have a fleshly side of us. We still are sinful. We are walking. We still struggle with sin here on this earth. But we're not sinners. We're not identified as sinners. Our identity is the imputed righteousness of Jesus. But we still fall in this life. And I feel God's voice more when I'm walking out of step as a coddling reassurance and redirecting back to the path. That is when I feel God's voice like, hey, this is not right. Mm. But, and I'm not going to say it's every time. I do feel encouragement. I do feel peace when I'm worshiping and I'm sincerely praying about decisions that need to be made. I do get assurances a lot of times. But I have never had this experience. And it's for sure not every time when God is directly telling me this is what you need to do. But I think it comes from this renewed will and that we have wisdom. He's blessed us with wisdom. He's blessed us with the ability to discern. And I think that goes into every decision I make now as a born-again believer. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's important for us to get rid of the picture of God that he's measuring every single step that you take in the sense that like, if you make one wrong turn, then you're gone. God is so much bigger than that. He's so mm-hmm. much uh, more capable Uh, Sometimes we feel like if we hop on a boat and we go in the wrong direction, then we're screwed. It's like, no, God has a million resources. He can actually send a whale to come and swallow you up and get you to the end destination. And that's not to be uh, interpreted through the lens of fear and judgment. It's meant to be to to, to realize the magnitude in which God is able to accomplish his purposes through people who are willing to be used by him. God is not like a, a guy standing at the fork of a road with a sign saying, turn left, but then you turn right. And then for every mile that you go, it's another mile that you got to run back to in order to find the next level of of direction. God's the guy in the car with you, manning the GPS who says, turn left here. But even if you turn right, he's saying, okay, cool. Not a problem. We'll recalculate. Maybe it wasn't the most efficient route, but that's okay. I'm still here with you, directing you. And here we can take a left up here at this next street. So there's not this overwhelming sense of uh, burden and pressure to get everything right. If the narrative scripture reveals anything, is that God works through the brokenness of human stories. And that even when we step out of line, whether intentionally or not intentionally, God is a good father who shows up in the details of our life and is able to redeem and turn what the enemy meant for evil to turn it for good. And so while I'm not encouraging people to step out of line, while I'm not encouraging people to just, you know, go uh, in in rebellion to God's plan for their life, I am wanting to, to, to release the pressure to say, Even if you, air quotes, interpret God's will for your life incorrectly, you're not abandoned. Mm -hmm. He still is guiding and leading. I promise you the first 17 years of my life when I hadn't given my life to Jesus, God wasn't necessarily pleased in the same way that he is when we move with obedience. 
I was making all the wrong decisions. God did not abandon me in those first 17 years of my life. He would not have gone to the cross to give himself for me so that you can get to the point of saying yes to Jesus, but then two days later you suffer because you went to www.ishouldn'tbehere.com and all of a sudden now the Spirit of God is removed from you. Like, no, like, it's not so flippant. It's not so uh, transient. God is actually there. He's committed to the point of death in your favor. And so, cool, you stepped out of line. Well, it's not cool, but you stepped out of line. God's still with you. He's going to work through you. Even someone like Paul, breathing out murderings against the church of God, persecuting the saints, God reveals himself to that guy, even when that guy's not asking for it. That's how good God is. Don't Mm. think that because for the last two weeks you haven't actually prayed, God, thy will be done in my life, that somehow his will is not being produced in your life. God does not abandon his children when they need him most. And so you can rest with assurance that he is guiding and directing your life. And even if you make a mistake, and even if you step out of line, he's still for you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I think overthinking actually makes you walk deeper in sin and, and struggle with sin struggles even more. Psalm 119, 105. Mm-hmm. And this is, I just looked this up on Google. So if this is not the direct quote, forgive me, but the word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my, unto my path. John 1, 1 says that mm-hmm. in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jesus is the word. This is in reference to, I believe, obviously the scriptures are lights unto our path, but also Jesus is our light. And a light unto the path means... He reveals the path while you're walking on the path. When you have a lantern, you walk with the lantern and you see, you can't see farther than your next step. And Mm -hmm, overthinking, mm -hmm. all of this is rooted in all of us want to see the full path. It's a fleshly desire to be in control. Mm -hmm. If you look at the Israelites when they were um, roaming the wilderness after Moses delivered them from Egypt, or God delivered them through Moses from Egypt, from slavery, God literally parts the Red Sea. There is an invisible force field or God's hand, not invisible because it's God, walking through these two walls of water so much so that the water was removed from the dirt so that mm. their wagons and their stuff, they, it wouldn't get, they wouldn't get stuck in the mud. They walk through, God then lets the waters fall because their enemies is chasing them and they are delivered from their enemies. They not even, I don't know the exact time span, but the next day, two days later, they realize they don't have food. Moses, we don't have food. We should have stayed in Egypt. It would have been better if we built our graves in Egypt. Why did you come? After they literally just saw the hand of God deliver them. But meanwhile, may I add, there is a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud with them this whole time. So Mm -hmm. God is dwelling dwelling with them. And might I add, I just saw on Instagram the other day that uh, what you know that all this AI talk, AI generates all these cool pictures, AI photography, all this stuff generated what it would look like. Obviously, this is fantasy, but it's cool to imagine what the pillar of cloud and the pillar specifically of fire would have looked like. And it was just like this tornado-like picture of of fire in the tornado, and I, I don't know, it was just a cool picture. But this something God was dwelling with them. In this season with zero food, zero water. But yet God still supplied food through manna from the rock. Through, I mean, manna on the ground, water from the rock. And we think that we're so different from the Israelites, but it's the same idea. We, mm-hmm. we struggle, our flesh struggles with the idea of, of being dependent. That's mm-hmm. what it is. It's dependency upon the Father. And mm-hmm. 
if we can learn to understand to do that, then and, and rid ourselves of overthinking and allow God to reveal to you your path, I feel like 95% of our problems would be solved because 95% of our problems are self-inflicted, you know? Hmm. You know, I, I love that you bring up this story in the context of someone that's looking for their purpose and calling with God. Even when you're wandering in the wilderness, God is still there. Even when you're making every wrong turn mm-hmm. you possibly could for 40 years, God is still there night and day providing for you, giving you food, giving you sustenance, giving you direction. Mm-hmm. Even when you're just willfully going in the wrong direction, God is still there. And I had to put it this way. I, I put it this way like three, four or five podcasts ago saying, are we not, can we not trust God enough to when if we walk mm-hmm. out of place that he's not capable of bringing us back? Like we can make decisions mm-hmm. in peace knowing that if this isn't right, he will, he will correct me. But we stay mm-hmm. in this position of, oh, should I go right? Should I go left? Just make a decision. Yeah. And use prayer and sound judgment, of course. But I don't know. That was an interesting topic because that's cool because I was talking about it literally yesterday with a friend. So that's cool that we just naturally brought it up even though I didn't have this planned. Um, so next next question, if you – is that are those your last thoughts on that topic? You care if yeah, we go to I'm the next go. question? Yeah, let's do it. After almost a decade of creating content online – what do you think God has taught you through the process from the first video you're made, you've made to now being very successful in what you do? I just want to give you your flowers. You have multiple videos with hundreds of thousands of views, lots of reach on social media. Like you said, this is based off what you said about success doesn't determine the call, but you have been faithful and it seems appears to be you've been faithful from my on looking just at what you've done over the years. So what has God taught you over the course of your content creation. Yeah, I think that one of the things that God is teaching me presently is is how it's so important for me to, to, to build my sense of identity off of him and him alone. My identity has to be found in Jesus and Jesus alone, not in the crowd, not in the responses, not in whatever the case is. Um, I found it a pretty consistent rule of life that whenever you end up reaching a larger group of people than say like your mom and your best friend and like your cousins or whoever it is that watches your first videos or whatever the case is, it's a pretty consistent rule of life that at some point you're gonna reach people that don't see the world the same way that you do. Uh, they might be right, they might be wrong, that's not the point, but the point is, is that you end up reaching people who at some point get upset about what it is that you're doing, what you're saying, fill in the blank. Um, and this is just true no matter what you do. Like it's, it's literally impossible to reach a sizable number of people and not get significant pushback. It, even if, I'll say this, even if you're perfect, you are still not removed from the very reality of people having something to say and criticizing you. How do I know this? Jesus, literally perfect, still got criticized, still got misunderstood, still, you know, all the things. And so one of the things that I've had to really come to peace and to come to terms with is that my identity is in Jesus and Jesus alone. And even when the crowd seems to be in my favor, it shouldn't move me off base. I shouldn't find my identity in that. And even when the crowd, this is maybe the more challenging piece, but even when the crowd starts to criticize and actually push back because of fill in the blank, my identity is still rooted in Jesus. And so it's been a really good uh, learning uh, experience in just being really steadfast on building my life on the rock and the rock alone. 
And I just had this thought. I wanted to ask you a question. You know, when you look at the best in the world at anything they do, basketball players, golf players. Like I watched a documentary of Brooks Kepka on full. It's called Full Swing on Netflix, and <laughs> he said he his wife would be talking, and all he's doing is thinking about his swings, thinking about his golf swing while his wife's talking. They're just in there hanging out, and that's all he's thinking about. And that's like content creators aren't exempt from that 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 struggle. You know, mm-hmm. so. What do you do? Because God didn't say that he who gets, you know, 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, 70,000 Instagram subscribers is following God. And it is, that's, that's not the greatest commandment. Right. Loving one another is the greatest commandment. So what do you put, what practices do you put in play? How do you live your life in a way that content creation is outflowing of the life you live versus everything you do for the Lord, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I was talking to uh, a friend, Kirby. Some of you guys might know Kirby on YouTube. Kirby is a boss, Kirby Kelly. And uh, we were talking about this exact idea. How do we b- build that balance where you are doing stuff because it's part, part of your profession or it's part of like, what you're doing online, but also how do you keep things for yourself? And I think that this is actually something that we're seeing in a lot of realms of life when it comes to just, even if you're not a content creator, documenting your life experiences doing selfies when you're doing this kind of, you know, thing with your friends or whatever the case is. I think that there's a very real sense in which we need to be willing to have some things that are shared and some things that are for us. And so I think that applying that to like the spiritual world, it's kind of the same thing. It's like, if everything is content, then I can understand the challenge and the rub, at least if it's that way for a consistent amount of time. It's probably not the best thing that the reason why you're going to devotions, the reason why you're going into Bible studies, because you need to figure out tomorrow's post. Definitely not a healthy place to be. And so the alternative to that is realizing that there are moments on spiritual practices that have nothing to do with others. So one of the things that Kirby was highlighting is the, is the spiritual discipline of solitude and silence and Sabbath. None of that is turned into content. That is, that is solely for the purpose between you and the Lord and actually being built up in the Lord. And so I think that building those rhythms into your life where there are certain windows of your week certain windows of your day that are entirely just for the purpose of allowing the Spirit of God to minister to you is tremendous. So one of those, those habits for me is Sabbath. You know, I, I take a weekly Sabbath. I'm one of those, those Christians that's like, you know what, this, this was a command for a reason. Uh, there's, there's, there's a certain weight behind this, this rhythm. There's a reason why it was, in, it was established in Eden before sin, uh, this Sabbath uh, rhythm, and it's because it's actually for our good. And so I think that that's one of those rhythms that I try and put into place every single week. I rest Friday night to Saturday night. That's an important rhythm for me. Uh, beyond that, one of the things I've been experimenting with, and I don't know that I'm going to continue doing this because, you know, it's just you try things. But what I've been trying lately is rather than going to sleep with a phone next to me, I leave the phone in another room. But in the event that I still have an emergency, I have an Apple Watch that has all the notifications and things like that. So one rhythm to stop me from staying up mindlessly scrolling at night and to stop me from wasting hours in the morning watching videos is to have my phone in another room. And I think that so far the experiment has been very valuable and it allows me to, to make a different first decision in my day. I'm trying this thing where every single morning when I wake up, I make one hard decision. The hard decision is to get my butt out of bed and go walking. And one of the rhythms I've been doing now for the last several weeks is First thing I do in the morning, go outside, go for a walk, and then I put, pop it in an audio Bible. That audio Bible uh, experience seldomly manifests itself in, into the realm of content because my content is very niched down. It's focused around freedom from sin, um, you know, rest in Jesus. And so as I'm just reading through Genesis, it doesn't necessarily show up in my content. That's just for me. 
But the beauty of it is, is now I'm just making one decision. Just get up and get moving. And then now I already have like a solid 45-minute block of uh, uh, prioritizing the right things first. Where if I'm not doing that, then I'm waking up, I'm scrolling aimlessly on TikTok or whatever the case is. And like those rhythms are disturbed. So I guess I kind of went on a little bit of a tangent because the question that you're asking was actually um, uh, about like how do you relate to content creation and spiritual disciplines. But I don't know. Do you see a connection there Mm -hmm. where I'm trying to get at? Everything I do is motivated out of a love for the Lord. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think for me personally, it was God highlighting not out of you're doing something wrong, just out of awareness like, hey, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there is this intimacy that can happen with the Lord that isn't always online. But the beauty mm-hmm. of everything I do and the beauty of this show, the podcast, from if you go back and listen to episode one and two, is documenting how God is moving in my life and I'm just bringing y'all along with me. I've never been the type mm-hmm. of creator that create like, I don't prepare stuff. I've never been like, yeah. oh, okay, I feel like this is what God has for these group of people and they need to hear. So I'm going to say that to them. No, this is like God is showing me this picture and God, I feel like I'm just going to be open and honest and share it versus I think that's different from how, from how you operate. I feel like you're very much a creator that you, you, mm. like you said, you're niched. You have, you have the things that you want to, you want to hit on and you're passionate about and you're going to hammer down on those. Um, but yeah, and I think too, the enemy, the enemy can infiltrate those thoughts too. Like if the enemy can't stop you, from creating content for him he's gonna influence try to influence you somehow so i feel like the enemy got in my head to the point Mm. where he's like oh you're only creating content Mm -mm. for social media which was originally a god thought saying hey there's this beauty this intimacy that can be had outside of content creation the enemy took that and 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 twisted it he took that and turned it for uh it's trying to get an advantage on me to stop you know creating content you know um I don't know. What, is, what are thoughts do you have on that? No, that, that, that resonates quite deeply. I think it highlights the way that the enemy works, and it's so worth repeating. Um, I forget where it is in Scripture, but Scripture talks about how we were alienated from God in our minds. That is to say that we weren't actually alienated from, uh, from God because God promised he'd never leave us or, 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 or forsake us. But when we believe the lie of the enemy that God has forsaken us, our subjective experience, our lived experience is that we are alienated from God, even though God is literally right there. And so I think it's so important that we highlight that the, the primary weapon of the enemy is lies and deception. That's, that's what he got. He, he's not working with truth. Mm-hmm. And so when you start something from a good place, um, I, I love the way that you highlighted that when God is highlighting something for you, it's not through the lens of condemnation and shame. He's just tapping you on the shoulder and saying, hey, cool, by the way, you know, this is the direction we're headed, and let's course correct a little. There's no guilt in that. There's no condemnation in that. That's the, that's the love of the Father expressed because he cares for you. The enemy then takes that as an opportunity, yeah. says, oh, therefore, and it's all those conclusions. The conclusions are, oh, therefore, Cole, you should, you, you know, you're doing it all wrong. You, you have impure motives, all these things. And it's like, no, man, that's just a bunch of noise. Know that you're good. Know that you're in him and that he's in you and that everything that you do, every expression of your life is an overflow of the spirit at work in your heart. And so you can cast those thoughts down. You can cast those lies down and move with confidence and assurance that God is in your corner still. And, and I, I love that. That is so important for, for, for people to realize because who's the one that calls you to create content, that gospel, gospel-centered content? 
I promise you, if you have the inclination to do this, I promise you, it is not the, is not the devil who is calling you to create gospel-centered content. It is not the devil who's calling you to make Jesus famous. So if you have that inclination in your heart, it's there because the Holy Spirit placed it there. And so don't allow the enemy to take credit for what the Holy Spirit is doing in your heart. I'm going to throw out this idea. We're kind of talking about it. I'm going to throw it out there and I want you to run with it. But lately I've understood, so in the secular world, in sports worlds, in athletic worlds, I've it's a very cutthroat type of mentality. If you're not getting the job done, you're a bum. You need to get better. You turned over the ball in basketball. You dropped the pass in football. Like this is what I'm accustomed to. And if I'm not in, in terms of walking in this life, I've understood that majority of the time, like I correct somebody or I correct myself, it's from a place of I'm hard on myself. I'm a bum. I got to get it done. And a lot of the secular world, a lot of the secular world does that too. Very critical, very harsh, uses fear as a motivator, uses um, harsh correction as a motivator. But I've come to the understanding that using the the good and the and, and joy and love and peace, particularly from the love of God, the love of God seeing the good in you and identifying with the good parts is a better motivator than fear. Fear is a great motivator. I know a lot of successful people in this world that they're afraid of not living up to their potential. They're afraid of not being everything they can be. And they're phenomenal at what they do. But I think, number one, that robs you of peace and joy in this life. So yeah, you are successful. But what do you have left after you're successful? And and it's miserable getting to that point. But on the other side of it, I think I think if you use... God's love to extract the good and you use that as the primary motivator in your life, I think it's more effective as well. So does that yeah. ring any bells in you when I... when I? Yeah, I mean, I mean absolutely. Uh, this is a, seemingly a bit of a tangent. It makes me think of David Goggins. Uh, when I am... Cole, exactly. I'm just like you. You know, I, I grew up in, you know, playing sports and all these things, martial arts. I come from an Asian American house. And so, you know... Th- the, the love language is the love language of affliction. <laughs> it's not words of affirmation, it's words of affliction. And it's this, you're, 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 not, you're not good enough kind of a thing. And that was what motivated me a lot in my early years. And it makes me think of David Goggins. And it's like, cool, in many ways, massive respect to the dude. He's accomplished things that I, I could never dream of doing. But then I read his, his book and I read his story and I realized the cost of the way that he's living his life, it's at the cost of literally everything else. And he'll, he'll say as much. It's like, you got to be willing to give mm-hmm. up everything for your goals. It's like, okay, cool. I'm glad you got your goal. But if you had to give up everything to reach your goal, here's a big, important, important question. What if you had the wrong goal in mind the entire time? What if you gave up what actually yep. mattered in exchange for running an ultra marathon or whatever, being the baddest person, whatever the case is, expletive that he would use about himself? And so when I read his story, mm-hmm. I was not inspired. I actually had pity for the man because it seemed like he passed over the most important things. And it made me think a lot about what Jesus says. What does it profit a man that he gains the whole world but loses his soul? That is to say that when we operate under the kingdom, there are a whole, there's an entirely different list of things that make up air quotes success. You can be financially successful, motivated by guilt and fear and shame and just this drive to prove yourself. And cool, it might actually lead you to being a billionaire. But what if that's not the point? What if that's actually not what leads to happiness at all? 
And if that's the case, then what do we need to do to reorient the direction of our life? The, what, what do we need to do to, to exchange the world's north compass for that which, of, that which the Bible actually talks about? Mm-hmm. And how do we live our lives in subjection to that? Because I would actually offer that when we do that, that actually is the one that leads to life. That's the one that leads to joy. That's the one that leads to peace. And so if that's something that you want, if that's something that you care about, then you have, excuse me, then you have to take on the yoke of Jesus. And the beautiful thing about the yoke of Jesus, it's not heavy. It's not hard. It's literally his own words. Mm-hmm. It's easy and it's light. So a tangible example of what we're talking about is I'm a videographer, right? That's my primary, like the podcast doesn't make money at the moment, right? Um, and even if it one day makes money, it'll always it'll always be put back in to make more money. That's not the motive behind doing this. But videography is 100% motivated by money because I got to make a living, you know what I'm saying? But before I was to make money, to make a living, I had one goal in mind, and it was to be a good videographer. And I had a standard of what I knew was good videos. I'm a hard, like I said, back to this hard critic idea. I'm a hard critic on other people too. Like I'm not going to... Um, I almost said like, I'm not going to bull crap you for like, I don't know, like, but for lack of better language, you know what I'm saying? Um, if I don't like something, I'm gonna, this is a thought inside of a thought. A lot of times when Christians create something, we, we think that we got to tell them it's good just because they're Christian, right? When we're, I think we as Christians are called to be the very best we can be because the world's trying to be just as good as they can be too. But like I said, this is a thought instead of a thought. It needs to be motivated by love and joy, not fear. Um, all that to be said. I'm a very harsh critic. And so part of that was is I was never satisfied with my content creation ever. And I was making some decent stuff, some good stuff. And I was making it for the Lord especially, but still I was never satisfied. And so I get to the point in December of literally 2022, this is like four months ago. And... Um, I'm creating content and I make a video of the NFR, the National Finals Rodeo. It's the biggest. It's a Super Bowl of rodeo. And if anybody's seen my content, I film a lot of rodeo. My cousin's rodeo. Um, God called my cousin back into rodeo, the co-host of this podcast. Um, So I'm filming that and I make the best video of my life. Two weeks prior, I make another good video, the best video of my life. And I finally reached this point where I'm making content that I'm proud of. I'm like, this is not it's not it wasn't comparison but I just knew a general standard of quality that I needed to make but the thing was is I the fact that I put so much of my identity in it not only ruined the peace that I experienced getting to that point but it also ruined the gift as well because then I experienced the worst burnout I've ever experienced ever so what we're talking about who can gain the whole world but then you'll also lose your soul yes I experienced legit depression and burnout losing your soul um but the crazy part is, is that the billionaire will, or David Goggins says, you got to sacrifice everything you can to get to that goal, but it also ruins the goal once you get there. That's why all, you hear all the stories, and this is where it gets vague, the billionaires who think, what's the point of life and all that? Because if you sacrifice everything to get there, namely your peace, your joy, the love of God, the will of God in your life to get to this goal, not only do you ruin your whole life, but you also ruin the gift at the end of it. No, that, that's, that's definitely insightful. Uh, I'm glad that you hit the nail on the head. I was going to say, it sounds a lot like you were building your identity off your cinematography and your content as opposed to being built in the yeah. Lord. And this is why I'm saying, like, for me, this is the lesson of the last couple of years. It's like, really just, I have to have my identity in Christ. Cool. 
I am a content creator. Cool. I am making, you know, uh, short films and videos and all the things that I happen to do. Like, but that's just what I do. That's not who I am. And so I think that this is one of those, those traps that a lot of us buy into, at least early on, is that we think that our calling is our career. And as my friend Benjamin Lundquist likes to say, your career can never contain your calling. So cool, do whatever you do, mm-hmm. do it unto the Lord, do it excellently, do it with, with the best that you can bring to the table, of course. But we have to guard faithfully that our hearts and making sure that we are not so uh, thoroughly identified by what we do that we forget that who we are. And let me add a, a thing. This is from my own life, but this is, I think this is a general frame of thought that people have that like, for example, when I talk about my life, when I say I was putting my identity in my work, a lot of people think it's like black and white. So everything up hmm. to that point was for the devil or completely not of God. And I don't think that's a correct way to think about things. You know, there's like the way most people live is there's good there's bad, you struggle with motives, there's moments of good, and there's seasons where you can walk faithfully for a long mm-hmm. period of time. And so when I when I recap my putting my identity and experiencing that burnout, that wasn't me like walking in two years of unfaithfulness. That was just a moment of highlighting of a specific aspect of my life for that specific point in time and that specific phase, season, whatever you want to call it, of my life where I experienced an identity in my cinematography, which you're correct about saying, because that's what it was. I was putting my identity in my what I was creating. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely not... People can be vulnerable and show... God can show you things, again, without condemning you mm-hmm. and without negating other parts of where you're being faithful. Absolutely. No, that's good. That's good. So get into... We're kind of talking... We kind of like... We're about to... We, we hovered over it. But I want you to talk about intimacy, intimacy with the Lord. And I just want to keep it vague and just allow you to define it how you want to define it and go, go, go run with it, you know? Hmm. Okay. On intimacy with the Lord, what's, what stands out to me right now is, is the fact that I am intimate with God, not that intimacy is a possibility. Uh, what do I mean by that? I think that for me growing up, intimacy with the Lord was always externalized by what I do or what I don't do. Did I read my Bible today? Did I pray today? Did I do whatever it is that I should be doing? Intimacy was localized in me doing certain things. But when scriptures actually talk about intimacy, the type of intimacy that's relating to is the very fact that the Holy Spirit actually dwells in you and that you are in Christ. So it's a very different thing. Like, in, in the entire worldview, the paradigm of Jesus is assuming that we are intimate with God. Why? Because intimacy has been accomplished mm-hmm. by Jesus himself. It's not something that we actually do. So much to the extent that, what is it, John 15, I believe, he just simply says, abide in me, remain in me, which is to yep. presuppose you are in him, he is in you. That's just the way that it is. So let it be, just remain there. And the fruit of remaining there is that you bear fruit. This, this is the thing, is that we look to our fruit as the evidence of intimacy with God. And that's actually exactly backwards. What branch is worried about bearing fruit? That's the gardener's job. That's not my job. My job is to remain connected. But that is, again, highlighting I am connected. And so for me, intimacy is resting in the truth that I have intimacy with God right now. True, when I am reading my Bible, True when I'm praying, true when I'm caught up in worship or a moment of solitude, but also true when I'm running errands. 
Also true as I'm sleeping on, uh, you know, in my bed at night. Also true while I'm working out. Also true while I'm at, on the job. There's not a moment in my life where intimacy isn't mine. I was talking to a friend and I was telling him, so this is specific, there was this specific encounter where I was praying about a hard decision in my life and I was going to my family and they asked about it and they're like, well, have you prayed about it? And my answer was, no, not yet. But I was also, I was still hearing God's voice. So what I mean mm-hmm. by that is when I live my life, it's almost like I'm living in peace. It's not like, for example, mm-hmm. Justin, you do these practices of Sabbath and then you leave a, a heart posture of rest. You leave a position of rest. You walk out. You don't, you don't go in God's word. You spend time with God and then you go live life without God. God is mm-hmm. with you everywhere. You want to live in a position of rest, position of grace, and you want to walk in these things seven days a week, three, six, five. So mm-hmm. when I, my parents or my family asked about this thing, I said, no, I haven't prayed about it, but I've been hearing God lead me in a direction. Because if you focus on the praying, getting in the word, the religious acts, the good things, these are all good things. We know these things. But for mm-hmm. me, when I focus on those things, it ruins intimacy. And when I focus on the intimacy, mm-hmm. like I'm already experiencing him, because like you said, the spirit of God dwells in us. We are the temple of God. Then it motivates prayer. It motivates getting in the word of God. It motivates worship. It motivates all these things. But there's something about living in intimacy with God versus but there's also an aspect of mine I add of like setting aside time to dive into and spend specific time in a close, like you're closing off all distractions so you can specifically get in the presence of God. But um, I don't know. I kind of got wordy there at the end. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, I, it probably highlights the need for us to have a more encompassing understanding of what prayer is. You know, uh, prayer, sure, is Mm -hmm. absolutely including those moments when you're petitioning God. That's definitely an element of prayer. But if the words of Paul are meant to be taken seriously, that you're supposed to pray without ceasing, then prayer cannot be collapsed into petitioning. Petitioning can be a subset of prayer, but prayer is not equal to petitions, and petitions are not equal to prayer in in this one-to-one sense. Because there has to be a way to pray while you're making tents, there has to be a, pr- a way to pray while you're rowing the boat. There has to be a way to pray when you're sleeping, because this is all thi- all times, right? Without ceasing. And so realizing that prayer is more than just petitioning, and it's likely has much more to do with the fact that you are intimate with God in every moment, and you are aware of this fact, and that you are resting and trusting in this fact, then we get to the true heart of prayer. Because I think what your, your family was probably asking you is did you actually sit down, did you get on your knees and ask God about this thing? It's like, well, maybe no, you didn't do that specifically. But were you actually in your own mind wrestling through this and thinking through it and, 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 and trying to observe what God has been guiding and leading? Absolutely. And I don't know what, that, what else mm-hmm. that could be described as except but prayer. Right? And so in, in the, the, the more holistic sense, yeah, you were praying. In the more limited sense, were you petitioning? Uh, no, not yet. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your heart's not oriented towards God and that your ears aren't open to where he's guiding you. And so I think it's important for us to have a, a more encompassing understanding of intimacy and what does it look like to live in the presence of God. Praise God, Justin. Well, we've been going for an hour and a half, and I know you blocked off two hours, but that's all I have for us today. And I'll give you some time to prepare for you. You have another podcast in 30 minutes. Is that what you said you had? Yeah, something like that. 
thank you, Justin, for coming on, brother. I really appreciate it. I appreciate you just coming on really short notice, too. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Uh, really enjoyed uh, your you and your co-hosts interviewing Omar. It was actually good prep work because I had Omar as a guest on the Digital Missions podcast. And so I was like, you know what? I know Omar mm. kind of as a person. We've hung out here and there, but I've never heard him just guest on the show. So I was just YouTubing, found you guys. I was like, wow. This is really cool. So shout out to you guys. You're doing a great job. Want to encourage you guys to keep moving forward. Um, excited for you and for whatever it's worth, rooting for you, hoping that you're able to figure out that next step to build those systems of sustainability so you can keep doing what you feel like God has called you to do at scale, take care, taking care of your family and all those different kinds of things. So really appreciate the invite and the opportunity to share my story. Make sure y'all go follow him on his social medias. Make sure y'all give him some love. Um, I feel really encouraged. My spirit feels really encouraged by the things we were talking about. And God talked, we talked about a lot of things that God's been showing me in my personal life. So um, with that being said, I hope this encouraged y'all. We pray that this, as always, is a, is a resource for y'all. Make sure you share it with a friend. Make sure you share Justin with a friend. Um, and we'll see y'all in the next episode. God bless.